It's time now for the Sports Objective Podcast. No talking heads, just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond. Welcome into the Sports Objective Podcast. I'm Dave Richmond along with my brother from a different mother. Hey, Bubba Rose and Mom, what's up, man? Doing well, Dave. Hope you are. I am, actually. Uh, keeping it between the lines right now. we got a big show. Do you want to tell everybody who's on the show today? Yeah, big show playing. Three great guests. Um, first, we'll hear from Cliff Godwin, obviously. Opening day is uh, approaching very quickly, and so we had the opportunity to sit down with Cliff and have a excellent conversation. Uh, some interesting news regarding future schedules um, that you'll hear. Um, we'll also talk to Sam Raz of the Scott and Holman podcast on the Pirates facing the 21st-ranked Cougars on Wednesday night at Minji's. And then last but certainly not least, we'll hear from um, Bethany Bradshaw, excellent author and writer for Bunswell.net, and then also uh, also independently. That's right. Got a great uh, book. We'll be talking about that uh, later on in the show. But first, Bubba, let's do our roundtable. And breaking news today, uh, that's worthy of uh, certainly any, any of our podcasts. When it comes to our roundtable, it has to go first. Yeah, I guess what, here about a week and a half, two weeks ago, um, Coach Houston announced the decision that defensive coordinator Bob Trott's contract would not be renewed. Uh, so yeah. um, a lot of Pirate fans have been wondering who's going to be leading the defense in 2020. And today it was announced that um, a guy that has Coach Houston ties and was suspected um, that might get the job did in fact get the job as Kennesaw State. Defensive coordinator Blake Carroll is the new defense coordinator for the Pirates. That's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But as uh, folks, if you're a senior right now, you've had a whole bunch of defensive coordinators. And if you play the defensive line, you've had a whole bunch of defensive uh, line coaches. But anyway, I guess that's uh, we have a defensive coordinator. And the defensive coordinator, which is the right, that's why Mike Houston's the coach, he will hire, I would assume, or have a big part with Coach Houston and who the D-line coach is, right, Bubba? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that works out well. I'm sure Coach Houston has some in mind, but um, that's good that Blake Carroll will be able to have his hand in it and and express his opinion as well. And for, speaking of Blake Carroll, he and Coach Houston, like I mentioned, go back to their days uh, even, I think, before Lenore Ryan, maybe Franklin High School, but definitely Lenore Ryan and then the Citadel. And then when Coach Houston moved on to James Madison, um, the, his successor there at the Citadel um, promoted Blake Carroll to defensive coordinator, and he was there three seasons. And the Citadel, I know, won ten games in a row, which was a program record. And uh, they really built on the success that Coach Houston had uh, gotten the ball rolling on. And so he, after doing such a great job with the Bulldogs, he moved on to Kennesaw State when uh, their defensive coordinator Brian Newberry became the new DC up. For Kenu Matalolo with the Naval Academy, so he certainly had a great defense that he took over. But um, he certainly continued on um, Kennesaw State's tradition of playing excellent defense. No question about it. So we'll uh, definitely, uh, if you look at it, we've got to make improvements on the defense. Looks like offense is going to be uh, in decent shape. Maybe the uh, the one tricky thing I would think is both. Um, O-line and D-line, but we'll keep talking about that. we got plenty of time to talk about uh, football, and certainly we have the spring game coming up in April, and practice is just around the corner. Hard to believe spring practice um, in the month of February will start out uh, here pretty soon. So 
uh, looking forward to that. We've got a big promotion we're going to be talking about in February, so uh, we'll have that coming up. Uh, like to tease people, you have to. It's worth your while to keep listening to this podcast. I would just say that. And uh, Bubba, I know that uh, very excited. Uh, we'll have. Uh, hopefully, we can get him on pretty soon. Kurt Kraft, but saw the news about we have three track stars uh, for ECU. Uh, big accomplishment, right? Yeah, three um, East Carolina track student-athletes ranked in the NCAA's top 15 in their respective events. So you had Ryan Davis, who's ranked fifth nationally in the weight throw. And you have Mackenzie Whitaker, who's ninth in the pentathlon. And then also um, at 13th in the 60 meters, and I'll probably butcher this name, but it, I, don't <laughs> know if, I don't know if it's Malicia or Malicia. I'm guessing Malicia. Um moves on uh, and again she is 13th in the 60 meters fantastic so three people three track stars uh of our athletes that are in the top 15 right bubba in the whole country for the ncaa so um uh, bill carson is kurt Kraft alluded to a tremendous tremendous coach built this program and uh i know that the great thing about pirate nation is that we're and we'll talk to uh, cliff godwin here just a little bit about that but uh, how we have the best fans. It is just tremendous to see a lot of uh, non-revenue Olympic sports. And that's, uh, I mean, you look at uh, swimming and diving and, and track and field come to mind. We've always been good. And you look at it now, and it's just uh, great to see that tradition continue. And um, I'm a fan of all 19 sports and, and I'm very proud of uh, that accomplishment. And it just goes to, if they can do it, so can the rest of the other sports. And um, Bubba, I know I'm very excited to see that we have softball coming up. It's a week from Friday. It's coming up soon, right? Yeah, a week from Friday. We'll get underway down at uh, Coastal Carolina, the Kicking Chicken Classic. And I love like it. You, like, like you said off the air, say that say that a few times fast. But um, the Kicking <laughs> Chicken Classic, Courtney Oliver and the ladies will begin play playing five games, two on Friday, two on Saturday, and one on Sunday. On Friday, they'll take on a Big Ten foe. Iowa Hawkeyes, also um, in-state foe Campbell. And on Saturday, they'll take on host Coastal Carolina as well as ACC opponent Virginia Tech. And then on Sunday, they'll wrap things up with a single game, uh, another one with the Camels. Yeah, that should be great. And good luck to we like Courtney Oliver um, here on this podcast. We think she's a great coach. And good luck to the softball team. We're very proud of them. And by the way, Bubba, didn't you tell me that the softball uniforms look fantastic? I haven't had a chance to see them yet. Yeah, they do. Um, they, they really look sharp, and uh, we're looking forward to having Coach Oliver back on the program soon. No doubt about it. And uh, that's one thing that we try very hard on uh, is to make sure that we get as many. And we're, keep work, we're still working on that. We're working in progress on this show. I guess you could tell that as we are in life. And we're working really hard to – uh, make sure that every sport is represented as much as we can. And obviously we know with the, with football, basketball, and baseball, that does take a lot of our time. However, we're working really hard to increase our Olympic sports coverage. And Bubba, you do a nice job of not only keeping folks abreast of what's going on, but um, he and I work hard on collaborating to get those uh, coaches on because we feel like there's uh, definitely a need. And uh, I think most Pirate fans of Pirate Nation want to hear um, how the those uh, programs are doing. So thank you for your hard work and looking forward to have Courtney, Coach Oliver on here pretty soon. Absolutely. Um, 
the big three get so much of the publicity and exposure, um, but uh, it's like you said, and um, it's it's enjoyable and it's it's nice to be able to give those Olympic sports and the excellent swim program, track and field program. Uh, you go on down the list, and um, it's great to be able to give those those programs um, the exposure because they they um, while they don't get the the exposure, and they certainly put in an awful lot of hard work and a lot of hours as far as um, preparing for competition and just um, working on the craft. No doubt about it, and we'll keep working on those sports and those coaches, and we'll keep working on that for the spring. So we've got uh, we've got time now for that, no doubt about it. Uh, Bubba, I know that I want to remind folks uh, as far as regarding baseball tickets uh, for season tickets and football season tickets on sale at the same time. A little unusual for uh, this early in the year, for sure. And what you can do, folks, go to uh, ecupirates.com. You can order your tickets that way for season tickets or the old-fashioned way. Let your fingers do the walking. Call 1-800-DIAL-ECU and get your tickets today. I'm telling you, folks, this is going to be a great, great baseball season. And later on the fall for 2020, it's going to be a great football season. I'm just jacked up about John Gilbert and Ryan Robinson, all the people behind the scenes that listen to this podcast, we want to give you guys, and men and women, a shout-out because we hear all the time different folks at ECU that listen to the podcast, and they're people that we don't even think of, but they, they're the, they're the like the engine, Bubba, and they're the under the hood, so to speak. We don't see it, but there's, that's what makes uh, ECU athletics so great, so want to give them a shout-out and Appreciate them listening to the podcast. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, do you want to go to our first guest, Bubba? Yeah, let's catch up with East Carolina head baseball coach Cliff Godwin, and um, let's hear from uh, number 23 right now. Well, baseball season is almost here, just a few weeks away, hard to believe, and with us right now, one of our favorite people in all of Pirate Nation is head baseball coach of East Carolina University, Cliff Godwin. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, getting ready for the big season. It's hard to believe uh, when I hear your voice. That means baseball season's just a couple weeks away, and uh, here we are. What are your thoughts going into a brand new season? Well, it's it's been different, you know. When you look out there, and Turner Brown's not out there anymore. Spencer Brickhouse, Jake Agnos, Washer, uh, and others. You know, Sam Lanier, uh, Trey Benton, uh, all those guys who have just been a part of our program for several years, but. We have a lot of returners back and, you know, 18 newcomers. So it's been different but good. You know, it's it's made me a better coach, you know, to be able to manage all the newness with our staff and new people on staff. So all those things were an opportunity for me to get better in the fall because there was obviously a lot of transition, and it's been good. Hey, Coach, I know that you don't care anything about polls, but you lose seven guys. Uh, the polls I've seen – uh, is it is it better for you to have, as a coach to have where the expectations are always high to East Carolina, but this particular case you're not in the top ten, top five? Is it? I guess it really doesn't matter to you, right? No, preseason they don't pass out trophies in the preseason. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it is a credit to our program and the guys who have been here before us to continue on the legacy of East Carolina baseball. But nobody puts any more pressure on themselves than myself or staff or players so yeah it's in their face all the time that we always talk about you know ignoring ignoring the noise and as nick saban says it's rat poison when you read in the right <laughs> it just becomes soft so we uh just want to 
focus on today, you know, getting better today at practice, and then, you know, once we do that, we'll go on to the next day. I want to ask you, I heard last week, so this may be old news, but as far as the baseball banquet, are there any tickets available for this Saturday night? Well, technically, you know, the last day of person was, was Monday, but I think we have about five left, and if you – uh do want a ticket, and it's last minute. If you get in touch with Blake Hardigree, our director of baseball operations, then we might have one left, maybe. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't want to yeah, – by the time people hear this being Wednesday uh, for this interview, uh, it may be too late, but just give him a call. Uh, we asked you last year as far as a wish list for the program. Uh, very excited about a lot of new things happening for you. Um, but we want to put it out there for Pirate Nation. Is there – Anything out there right now that we don't have that really you're a recruiting genius, you're great at recruiting, but what do we need uh, to bring these great talent year in and year out? Well, we need to update our locker room and just the inside part of our facility with, uh, you know, I have a lot of coaches that are sharing offices. Blake's office is in the uh, men's locker room, so we couldn't have a female in that position because it's in the, his office is in the male's in the coaches' locker room, so, which we're all males as coaches, so that wouldn't work out. But we also want a professional locker room um, so that guys like Jake Agnos, Bryant Packard, Wash, Dewan Brickhouse, all those guys that are in town, Turner Brown, can have an op- opportunity to put their stuff down in their own locker and work out here. I mean, we've got a great indoor hitting facility. We've got a great indoor pitching facility. We also need a weight room over in this area, which John Gilbert and I have been talking about. So just a lot of, you know, little pieces to the puzzle, which is little in my mind, but financially it's it's pretty big. So we just got to make sure that we can raise the money and continue to push this program forward. And folks can obviously join the Pirate Club, and that's another way we can talk about that another in a later late later date uh we've had a lot of over the last season 2019 we had a lot of espn and different baseball analysts and they bragged about you talking about how you built a sec like program how important are the fans and like especially those rabid fans out in the jungle for clark leclair stadium well first off uh, i i didn't build it i was a piece of the puzzle but i didn't build it you know our staff or players who have put in all the hard work and sacrifice so much time they have built really a national power in my opinion and that that's me talking and yeah we're a national power today but you know once we play on february 14th it won't matter so we got to continue to do the little things and work hard but the fan base is an sec fan base and it's been like that for 19 years i mean we've led the state of north carolina in attendance for 19 straight years. So, you know, when people come play and the jungle's rocking and you go back to the regional, the past two years, the crowds have been electric and we just need to continue to push forward. I think the adult beverage sales in the stadium at Clark LeClaire will even help the atmosphere. This yeah. year. So we're looking forward to being able to have those adult beverages sold throughout the stadium, just like football. I think it'll be pretty awesome. I want to ask you about personnel. Uh, obviously, new faces, is, uh, but um, one guy that comes to mind is so special with Burley. Uh, how much does he mean to you? I mean, it means a lot. It means a lot to our program, and not just what he does on the field, but what he does off the field. He's got like a three nine GPA. Wow! Um, just a great ambassador for East Carolina. His competitive 
attribute that that's the best thing he's got going for him. Obviously, he's talented, but just the competitive side of him, he hates losing. That's why he's good in the classroom. That's why he's good as a position player, and he's good as a pitcher. He just hates losing, which obviously that aligns with my values because I hate losing as well. Uh, no doubt about it. We definitely know that about you. As far as pitching is concerned, so article today, Ronnie Woodward and Reflector about Gavin Williams. Can you talk about him? I know that he's uh, last year to now, um, my understanding is he's really improved the maturization process. Gavin's always been a super talent, and this past fall working with Coach Dietrich, he really worked on keeping his head still, and it's allowed him to really locate the baseball where he's trying to throw it. In the fall, he threw 11 and third innings and only walked one guy on a 3-2 count, and he struck out 13. So wow. now we're getting to, you know, hey, now we can start. You know, if you're commanding the strike zone, been able to move your fastball around and also throw multiple pitches for strikes, which he's got his breaking ball, which is better. He's also developing a slider, which is better, and then a changeup as well. So, you know, you're looking at a guy that's going to have three to possibly four pitches and throw the baseball anywhere from 90 to 100 miles an hour. So that's uh, really good. And, you know, he walks around more constantly. He looks like a Friday night guy. He's acting like a Friday night guy. So, you know, we're looking forward to, you know, him just continuing to get better. And we talk about in our program all the time, rents due every day. But if we were to start tomorrow, he would be our Friday night starter. And I, I know famously uh, you're not going to tell us who that is, so we'll skip that question. Uh, <laughs> as far as, <laughs> uh, I've learned from Igo and others. Uh, hitting is uh, for the offense. Man, Thomas Francisco, Bryson Worrell, are there any other uh, guys that uh, definitely maybe some surprises that maybe fans will see this year? Well, Lane Hoover, you know, is another guy that's just been was a staple in our lineup and really – if you look back to last year when he went down, it just changed our offense because having him hit between most of the time Packard and Brickhouse or Packard and, and, and Burley, it just it made it really difficult on pitchers, you know, to have to throw the ball, uh, you know, in a smaller strike zone, and then he can bunt, he can run, he can do a lot of different things. The guy that really has made probably, in my opinion, the biggest jump offensively is Seth Cadell. He has really sold out to hitting the ball the other way and just letting the ball get deeper. He had a really good fall for us offensively. Bryson as well, just way more consistent uh, offensively, especially from the left-handed side. So those two guys, in my opinion, have made the biggest jumps. Ryder Giles is faster than he was last year. Brandon Golden did a really good job with him and stronger and faster. So that's what you're looking for, and he's hitting the ball well. And, Coach, one of the things you were talking about uh, Burley earlier in the classroom, I want to give you a chance to brag once again like last year. Uh, talk about the GPA, and I know you've got to be proud. One of the things I admire about you is that you really put an emphasis on student-athlete and student as obviously comes first in that. Yeah, you, if you're not doing what you need to do in the classroom, you won't practice, so much less play. So that's what ultimately you're here for is to get a great education. And, yes, playing baseball is a byproduct, but that's, what we recruit, that's what we tell recruits, and so happy, so proud, I shouldn't say happy, proud of what our guys did this past fall. They had a 3.414 GPA, which is the fifth straight semester. So for two and a half years, we've had higher than a 3.41 team GPA, which wow. is unheard of in college baseball. And that just 
a ton of credit goes to Rebecca Wade, our support staff, our guys, for just paying attention to detail and getting the job done. Coach, let's talk a little bit about the schedule. I know that February 14th is the most important game being opening day with William and Mary. Can you t- give uh, Pirate Nation a little bit of the highlights of what they can expect this season? Uh, I can tell you that we're going to work hard. We're going to play hard. We do play William and Mary February 14th, uh, which is the team that we beat in 2016 in the regional championship in Charlottesville. So mm-hmm. they're well coached. They will be ready to play as everybody will be ready to play when they play the East Carolina Pirates. So if we play well, we'll probably win. If we don't, then we'll probably get beat, um, just like every other opponent we play. So uh, baseball is a pretty unique sport when you think about it. You can do everything right, smoke the baseball, but there's eight defenders, you know, that can catch the baseball. So uh, you can line out a whole lot and, and get beat. So you got to make sure that you're, you know, on your – P's and Q's, and you're ready to expect everybody's best punch. Well, one of the teams on the schedule, I looked up on the schedule again, no NC State. Is that something that maybe in the works for 2021? Yeah, so we're back on uh, NC State schedule for 2021, home and home. Uh, Coach Avent and I got that done this summer, so uh, really happy about that. The biggest thing, I'm happy for our players, I'm happy for our fans because it's a great rivalry, and the place is always packed, whether it's in Raleigh or Greenville, when we play play them. You made my day hearing that. That's great news. I haven't heard that, so that's awesome. And uh, before we let you go, I actually uh, was watching the Wichita State game on ESPN, and lo and behold, there's Cliff Godwin. Um, and, it means a lot to see you coach as uh, not only the baseball coach, but you are really a pirate. A lot of people, uh, a lot of people, you know, uh, talk to me about that. And, and, and number one, first and foremost, I'm an East Carolina Pirate. I, I, I played here. I poured my heart and soul into this place as a player. And thanks from a lot of guidance from a lot of great coaches with Keith LeClaire, Kevin McMullen, Tommy Eason, uh, George Whitfield. So been very blessed by East Carolina University. And, you know, Joe Dooley asked me six, seven months ago, he goes, hey, you should go on a trip with us. He says, Wichita State's got an unbelievable basketball environment. And I'm a sports junkie. I love competition. My dad was a high school basketball coach. I grew up playing basketball. So when he uh, presented the opportunity to travel with the team, I was like, heck, yeah, I'm in. And (laughs) it was awesome, I mean, to be right behind the bench and to be in the pregame meetings and the team meals and just see what goes into, you know, their sport and how detail-oriented and, you know, Rock had the scouting report and, you know, they were running plays, and everybody on the bench was yelling out the play as Wichita State's getting in their offensive setup, which was awesome because they were so well coached and so ready to be uh, prepared for that set. And it was an unbelievable environment. I hope Minji's will get like that at some point in time. And I, I know Joe and his staff is going to continue to win at a high level. Well, it meant a lot to see you there. Like I said, a lot of Pirate Nation were talking about it. And, uh, Thank you so much for the time the visit. I know that you carved out some time, very busy getting ready for 2020 and William and Mary, and good luck to you this season. I hope uh, we can pack Clark LeClaire each and every game. Absolutely, and just thank you for your support of East Carolina Athletics and all all that you guys do. Thanks very much, Coach Godwin. He's uh, tremendous. Cliff Godwin really gets it. How about that, Bubba, talking about Joe Dooley inviting Coach Godwin and, I mean, when you think about it, it makes perfect sense because 
Cliff played, I think, three sports, my football, basketball, and baseball, I believe, at Green Central there in Green County, uh, really next night, not too far away from Pitt County in Greenville. So definitely knows what it means to be a Pirate. It was just so cool to see him. It, it caught me off guard when I looked on the TV screen. There's Cliff Godwin. So thank you, Coach, very much for what you do. Appreciate you, your support um, of the program, of uh, baseball, all your hard work, and the staff, and obviously all your, your support of being a Pirate. It means a lot. Uh, Bubba, we had a chance. We got a big game on Wednesday night. Do you want to go to our next guest? Yeah, we caught up with Sam Raz from the Scott and Holman podcast. Does an excellent job covering the Houston Cougars. And like you said, the 21st ranked Cougars will be in Menjis on Wednesday night. And let's go to that conversation right now. Well, Bubba, this next guy, it seems like that he, he has his own podcast, but it feels like he's part of our team. He's on with us all throughout the year so much. We're glad to have him back. Yeah, the Pirates will be um, hosting the 21st-ranked Houston Cougars on Wednesday night, 7 p.m. tip-off on ESPN3. And now from the Scott and Holman podcast, welcome back into the show, Sam Raz. Hey, Sam, how you doing, guys? Always great, to be, oh, yeah, always great to be back. Great. We'll be talking about your new adventure here in a little while, but we want to get started. Uh, wow, what a what a uh, definitely what a start. Uh, East Carolina has had some up and downs, but can you talk about catch everybody up on the podcast about uh, Houston as far as the basketball program? What's been going on? Yeah, so last year the Cougars went thirty-three and four, and that was kind of a surprise. I think we expected last year's team to be good. I don't know if we expected last year's team to be you know an all-timer and a program that has a pretty good amount of history and. Off that t- team, you lost uh, three seniors, two of them pretty prominent uh, contributors in um, Corey Davis Jr. and Galen Robinson. Corey Davis being kind of your go-to on-ball defender, probably the best on-ball defender I've ever seen put on the red and white for us. And Galen Robinson, who was kind of a classic pass-first point guard, I think in an era where classic pass-first kind of point guards really aren't trendy anymore. Galen didn't really call his own number very often. Something we talked about before this season is for about four years there, we kind of just took for granted that any time an opponent tried to press U of H, really tried to you know run a full court press of some variety, that Galen would just break them of doing it because the guy just never turned it over in his own half. He was probably the best I've seen in the college level, including other teams, that you know taking care of the ball, getting the ball end to end, and also being a tough on-ball defender, I'd say 1A to Corey Davis is 1B there in terms of guys I've seen who could really lock down bigger and more talented opposing guards. And you also had Armani Brooks, who both you know both of his last years at U of H really improved a lot uh, from year to year. Didn't really do much as a freshman, but was the conference sixth man of the year as a sophomore. And then last year, you know, I, I would say one of the better spot-up shooters in the league. And he actually initially explored going pro after his junior year. Most of us thought it was just, you know, Armani getting a chance to work out for professional folks and, you know, just getting to see what he needed to work on his game for his senior year. I, I think he pretty much said as much at the beginning of the process, and I guess I think liked the idea of playing pro enough that he decided to forego his senior year, and he's currently playing for the Hawks G League team. Actually had his best professional game last week at get 38 points for uh the Hawks G League team. So that's three guys right there played in just an immensely critical role, you know, on the last two Cougar teams. Four new starters in total. The only returning guy was Fabian White Jr., you know, power forward who had shown some promise, but 
you know, wasn't anything close to a go-to guy offensively or defensively. And, and you had to kind of deal with the growing pains there. Lost a really close uh, game on a buzzer beater to BYU, um, not in the home opener in the second home game. Uh, lost at Oregon, a team that looks pretty good, a team that, quite frankly, in November we weren't remotely on the level to compete with. And you've kind of seen gradually, month by month, this team really buy into what Coach Sampson's doing and improving. Guys like Nate Hinton. Nate Hinton played a bunch last year as a bench guy, actually Carolina guys, a couple of uh, Carolina guys on this roster. I'm going to get to one of them here in a sec, too. Um, Quentin Grimes, a five-star transfer from Kansas. He's been pretty up and down. I think really the last five or six games in conference play, he struggled a fair amount. But early on in the season, as the team was fi- kind of fighting its footing, I mean, you know, we, we darn near lost to Rice at Rice early on. And that, I think without just a Herculean effort by Quentin Grimes, we might have a quadrant four loss on our resume right now, which, you know, would be kind of an anchor as this team tries to really solidify its postseason resume. And um, Dejan Giroux, who was on the conference sixth man of the year last year, um, real mercurial guy at times, the guy who can make a pass that, you know, you think no one on the planet can make, and then, you know, on the next, you know, time down the court, throws the ball into the stands. I don't know if any one player has aged Kelvin Sampson more than Dejan Giroux in the last uh, few months here. So he's mentioned, I'll close with Caleb Mills, who's been another Carolina kid from the Asheville area, has been unbelievably impressive. He joined the program last winter and sat out as a redshirt, but got kind of used to um, the college game, put a little weight on. He's a real skinny guy and looks more like Rob Gray than any player I've seen. So you're, you're bringing in a lot of new guys. It's Definitely the most talented team Samson has had since he's come to Houston. I'd say by a wide margin. That's not a knock on the previous couple teams, which are two of my favorite Cougar teams of all time. But it's also his youngest team, and you've seen kind of the growing pains that come with immensely talented freshmen and sophomores, but still freshmen and sophomores try to get used to the collegiate game. Sam, taking a look at this club, I'm mean, 16 and four, six and one, uh, tied atop the league with Tulsa, and uh, that's the lone loss that the Cougars have had in the last 11 ball games. Um, suffered that two point defeat at Tulsa, um, but um, one of the games that really jumped out at me um, was that win at Wichita State, a game which the Cougars led by at least like 22 or 23, and the 11 point margin of victory was really about as close as it was in the second half. Yeah. Yeah, the Cougars ran them off the court there. And I remember I actually drove up a couple of years ago when we played um, at Wichita just because I kind of wanted to see see their arena. It's um it's not a really close drive to where I'm at, but it's a pretty easy one. You just hop on 35, and eight, nine hours later, you're in, you're in Wichita. And they just they ran a good Houston team off the court that night. That's a tough place to win. Even last year when it wasn't vintage Wichita State, yeah, this wasn't exactly a bad team by any stretch. And this year's team, I'm not going to say I wrote it off as a loss, but I was realistic that of our conference schedule, it was going to be one of the two, probably yeah, probably two toughest games we were going to have to deal with. And to go out there and just play them off the court, really. I think this team, the defensive metrics haven't loved this Cougar team. I think just they don't get a lot of steals. Um 
They just don't do some things that the defensive metrics expect a really good team to do well. But I think that game was kind of a showcase that, hey, this is a good defensive team, too. There's a lot of offensive talent there, but just Wichita never got any kind of rhythm, never got comfortable. The Cougars beat them on the glass they needed to because this is just a team that's hell on wheels in terms of offensive rebounding and really getting anything done against them there. And it, it, it was impressive. It was everything that we'd kind of seen in stretches with this team that had been kind of inc- had been good on the balance, but it had been kind of inconsistent at times. It was everything clicking and coming together and, and beating it, beating Wichita in a manner that I wouldn't have predicted in a million years we'd do. I think I would have just been happy if we left the arena that Saturday with a one-point win. And to run them off the court, like you said, I don't think it got much closer than the 11-point final ended up being at. Was, it, it, was, it was shocking in a really positive way. It was... Yeah, I think an endorsement of this team really growing from November to December to now in January. It was the kind of win that this team would not have done in the first few weeks of the season, the kind of performance that these guys weren't capable of giving as a team. And when you look at this roster, um, one of the things I, I watched a good bit of that Houston-Wichita uh, State ball game, and that, that was the most I'd seen the Cougars play this year. And just um, like a lot of teams in college basketball, um, so many guys like six five to six seven with a lot of athleticism, and um, that really jumped out at me watching that ball game. Yeah, this is actually the biggest team Samson's had in a good while here. The last two years' teams were really good. Again, uh, this isn't a knock on those teams. Guys like Corey Davis and Galen Robinson, who were probably listed six one, six two, and you know actual height probably a little bit. Under that, guys who were squeezing every bit of the talent they had out. This this team has a lot of guys. You know, Quentin Grimes, Nate Hinton, uh, Dejan Giroux, Fabian White. A lot of guys in the rotation who are, like you said, between like six four and six seven. They're really the only really tall guy on the team is Chris Harris Jr., uh, who's listed six ten. Really is a cool story in his own right. He was at one point in his high school career pretty pretty big recruit. Did have some problems in the classroom had to go to San Jacinto College, a junior college in the Houston area. Uh, finally, after what seemed like, you know, a decade of waiting, he got to Houston, and he would occasionally do the highlight reel block or dunk, but really wasn't anything close to a complete big man. And this year has taken just a huge step up in terms of being a shot blocker, a rebounder, even a guy that the Coos can pass the ball down to in the low post, and he's not going to, immediately dribbled off his foot or travel or, you know, fling the ball in the air and it not go anywhere close to the rim. He actually looks like a college big man and still is able to, you know, bring the highlight reel, you know, blocks and dunks. It's really been a balanced team effort because um, you mentioned Mills, Grimes, Hinton, White, and um, another one or two. Uh, I know you have at least five, maybe six players that are averaging like between – between like nine and a half and thirteen points a game, yeah. and, yep. and and looking at it, um, you got Mills. He's a sophomore. Grimes, uh, check that. Mills is a redshirt freshman, and then you have Grimes and Hinton, who are sophomores, and White is a junior. So this is a club that's really set up for success in the future. Yeah, the guy I just mentioned, Chris Harris, is the only senior. It is interesting because there's a transfer currently sitting out, uh, Cam Tyson from Idaho. There's also. Uh, one of the uh, freshmen we have is redshirting Juwan Roberts. So if everyone sticks around, next year's team is going to be one over the scholarship limit. So 
it's kind of a case of musical chairs. Someone is probably going to have to go uh, in the off season. But yeah, like even even if someone unexpectedly leaves, I mean, you know, even not the best case scenario, you're still returning so much of this team. And like you said, there's not really. If you made me pick one guy who's been kind of an offensive go-to, I'd really have a hard time doing it because game to game that varies. I, there's been as many as seven or eight different guys who I can like look back at various games and say, oh, yeah, so-and-so. Yeah, Marcus Sasser was huge in this game, one of our freshmen. Caleb Mills took over in the second half against UConn. We weren't playing our best ball last Thursday. Chris Harris just dominated South Carolina and blocked six shots and that allowed us to run them off their court in Columbia. I, I, I can, if you pick the game, there probably was a different guy who played a massive role in winning it, and that's, that's pretty cool. It's always been kind of a balanced effort here, but you had guys like Rob Gray and at times Corey Davis in the past couple of years who would really just take over offensively and, you know, volume shoot. That's kind of what you need to do to win sometimes. But, uh, yeah, I would say this is as balanced as any team I've seen since Samson has taken over. And you mentioned having those two North Carolina kids in uh, Kayla Mills and Nate Hinton. I'll tell you what, uh, Rob Gray was from North Carolina as well, right? Yep. Yep, I remember. I remember when I saw. I remember when I saw that. Uh, I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's killing me." <laughs> yeah, uh, Kelvin Sampson's son, Kellen, who we've actually had on our podcast, um, was an assistant at App for a few years, and so he still has some ties to the state. And that I think got the foot in the door with Rob Gray, and it also obviously got uh, Mills and Hinton. And I obviously couldn't speak highly enough of the impact Mills and Hinton have had for us this year, and in Hinton's case, the last two years. Sam, that's the problem with. Uh... Obviously, Kelvin has the great ties to North Carolina as well, being a native of North Carolina. Yep. And then you have the fact that you look at the state of North Carolina with the population continues to grow and grow and grow. A lot of great talent has already come out of North Carolina being in the past for being more or less a basketball state. And then yep. you add the fact that the population is growing. And uh, the good news about North Carolina is a lot of talent. The bad news about North Carolina is we have a lot of talent because, like you said, um talent's coming your way yep yeah it's uh, it's um basketball is always been more of a national game but it's always nice to see you know your school kind of get pockets of yeah you know, you're able to pull like you know that's now three good players in the state of north carolina that you know i, I couldn't imagine us not having rob gray caleb mills and nate Hinn the last three years they've already just all three of them cumulatively over their times at the program have had just a great impact. I hope we can keep, you know, finding players who are a good fit for the program. It was, Hinton was a really, really cool story because he was, I mean, Mills had a decent number of offers too, but Hinton basically had an offer from just about everyone in y'all's footprint except for UNC and Duke. That's how well he did during the summer circuit and Kellen Sampson was on him before most of the bigger names that offered him. So when it came time for Hinton to commit, he remembered that Houston offered him early. He saw how that program was trending. Rob Gray's last year here, our first tournament season in a while, a couple of years ago, and decided he wanted to be a part of it. And yeah, I think when it's all said and done, by the end of his senior year in a couple of years, he's going to be one of the all-time U of H greats. And yeah, I couldn't be more happy to have him on our roster. One, I want to talk about Kelvin Sampson, uh, speaking of him. I know the fan base was really happy last year. I, I take it the fans are still very happy with him and the success the Cougs have had under his leadership. Yeah, I, I think um, there's a there's a couple of coaches in the program, lesser names, 
who should also be on ice cold, uh, ice cold seats, you know, some of the Olympic sports. But, you know, excluding that, I don't think, um, I, I don't think any coach in my time, my 15 or so years at this point of really being a focused Cougar fan, has there been any coach on a cooler seat and just who can, you know, ask for whatever and do whatever, um, as Kelvin Sampson, I, I even even when this team lost games this year, you know you get so much credibility from having a season like we had last year when the team went thirty three and four. That either I've done a good enough job, um, just completely blocking out all all of the really uh, dumb fans in our fan base, the fans that uh, exist in every college fan base, or I think a little bit more likely the fan base at large was. You know, understanding that, hey, like, this guy has built something here for the long term, even if there are some hiccups early on with a super young team trying to break in a lot of new guys. And, you know, now the team's kind of turned a corner in conference play, I, I think you're starting to see that, you know, buy in even more. And it, it, the really exciting thing is this year was supposed to be kind of a transition year just because you were losing so many guys off the 2018-2019 team. You're probably going to return – this year's team pretty intact to some degree and bring in the best class that we've had probably in modern recruiting history. They just uh, redid the Rivals 150 this morning, and all three of U of H's 2020 signees are in the Rivals 150. So, you know, it's not just a, you know, one-hit wonder with that 2018-2019 team. This is a program built for the long term. This is a, a program that had Samson after last season, after Arkansas kind of came sniffing around commit to basically be here until he's retired and that's very exciting when you're talking about a guy like him who yeah i think is a no-brainer hall of famer and one of the best ever coach in the sport now sam i heard coach sampson in the preseason just uh, he was very excited just uh, about the potential of this club but he said i think we'll win in a different way or some different ways than uh, what we did a year ago and that seems to certainly have been the case uh, i was looking at the numbers i think you guys are shooting like 31 or 32 percent from three and yep. you do ha- you do have four guys with at least 28 makes from three but um but the team percentage on a whole is, is down about four percent um yep. and and of course you had the line pushed back but uh and one of the things that concerns me on uh wednesday night uh, is just the way you guys appear to rebound the basketball. And what I saw in that uh, Wichita State game, you, know, you are out-rebounding the opponent by about 11 rebounds per per uh, ball game. Yeah. it's. And I'm glad you pointed out the shooting statistics because – excuse me. Oh, sorry, fellas. Um, this hasn't been a great shooting team. I think we're outside the top 100 in both the two-point and three-point field goal percentage. This team – you know, has occasionally shot very well, but, you know, on the balance, it's not a great shooting team. But when you have a team that I think right now we're third in the country in offensive rebound percentage, when on about 40 of your possessions you're getting an offensive rebound, that's just – it's almost like a, you know, built-in margin of error. You know, you don't have to shoot an unbelievable percentage to still be a great offense. And Chris Harris, who I mentioned earlier, has been pretty key to that. Nate Hinton, despite – being a guard, despite being you know only listed six four, six five, I say it has a good argument of being the best rebounding guard in college basketball right now. He's averaging just under ten boards a game. He just has this almost you know supernatural ability. Even you know in a crowd of four or five guys who are taller than him, you see Nate Hinton run into this group of people, and he's the guy coming out there with the ball, and you just wonder like how how on earth did this kid do that? 
And, and there's really one through five. There's not a guy who's a bad rebounder out there. Samson, since his Oklahoma days, I'm sure, has just emphasized rebounding as much as any one specific thing. If you don't rebound the ball, if you don't show, you know, real interest in rebounding it, you're not getting on the court for him. He's pretty insistent about that, and the team's been pretty excellent at doing that, like you said. like It's it's helped us, I think, deal with the fact that you don't have the pure shooters like Armani Brooks and Corey Davis they did last year. I think Nate Hinton can at times get hot and hit shots. Caleb Mills at times get hot and hit shots, but it's this team's way of winning is not going to be the same as last year's. Like Samson said, like you're bringing up there, Bubba, it's a team that kind of needs to grind a little bit more, get those second chances with the offensive rebounds. And it's been a joy to watch, just seeing them crash the glass like we have. I remember a few years ago, Samson's third year, we went up to SMU there, uh, the year after Larry Brown left when they were uh, really good. I think they won the conference regular season that year. And I just remember they just killed us on the glass. And I thought to myself, like, I wish someday we'd be the team doing that to opponents. And just every year since then, from, you know, Rob Gray's senior year to now, the team's just gotten better and better each year rebounding the ball. It's, it, it almost makes me wonder, in, in 2020, is this team going to, like, break offensive rebounding records? Because it's just been, it's been a steady trend up and obviously very exciting to watch from a fan perspective. Um, a couple more questions before we move on and talk a little football and baseball and some other topics. But um, one of the things that I wanted to point out uh, with the success the program's had five straight, or I guess, excuse me, four straight 20-plus win seasons, and this year is certainly going to happen again, barring a huge uh, collapse, which I don't foresee happening. But um, the crowd there, or Crowds at Fertitta Center have been anywhere from six to 7,000 this year. It seems like the, the city has really embraced the team and the winning, and just like you would have expected. Yeah, I think the crowds could be better. Uh, I'm not really one to go on social media or my podcast and complain about crowds because, I mean, usually the people seeing that message are the people attending games. But I, I will say that, you know, compared to what it was in the latter days of Hawthorne Pavilion, um, it's night and day. We're actually getting good basketball crowds. The Houston fan base as a whole is really buying into basketball, being a cool event, being something to come out for. Uh, I remember we had on Kellen Sampson over the summer, and he talked about, I think it was their second year here, him and his dad, how they had a pretty highly profiled recruit, Jared Vanderbilt, who ended up um, signing with Kentucky, who was a Houston area kid. Uh, apparently showed more than token interest in, you know, playing for U of H. They brought him on a visit, and Kellen talked about looking up in the stands and seeing Jared Vanderbilt sitting alone in his own section and immediately knowing there's no chance for landing this kid just because there's just no there. As someone who attended a lot of uh, not so well attended games at the Hawthorne Pavilion, it just wasn't really something the fan base bought in on. Even when Samson in his second and third year was getting the program in a better spot than really it deserved to be in, considering the fan support, you know, considering where it was before he arrived. Um, and I think the new building has changed. That. It is a very, it's a very good building. It is, it is the building this program has deserved for a while. It was pretty overdue to get rid of Hoffine's Pavilion and do the serious reno uh, that we did. And 
you know, I, I would hope that even, you know, a loss here and there as the season season goes, that the fan base still stays as in, bought in, excuse me, as they are now. I think they will be, but, you know, if I could use one adjective to describe Houston fans, and that's Houston fans, pro or college, it's uh, it's fickle or inconsistent. So I'd, I'd love for our crowds to, you know, to really feel like true sellouts, but it is definitely better than what I've been used to seeing most of my time as a fan. And to piggyback off that, Sam, uh, quickly, and I was going to ask you about the league, but um, <clears throat> it's amazing how the Pirates have uh, had a little bit of a, you know, they've had lost a few, but then um, the last two home, the last few home games, Bubba, we're averaging whatever five thousand. Uh, yeah, yeah. The last um, couple home crowds have been um, pretty solid, relatively speaking. Um, like you said, for Tulsa, we had a little over fifty three hundred, and then uh, for. Um, the most recent game, um, the victory over Tulane on Saturday night, we had um, something like forty-eight hundred. That's awesome, man. That, that tells me that, that tells me that you know once Dooley gets this going, or I guess it's still an if. I guess if, you know if Dooley really gets this going, that that's going to be one of the toughest places to play. Because I mean, you know, it's still pretty early on in that whole process, and he's already getting pretty good crowds to Minji's. I, I think that's you know it's testament to y'all's fan base. I'm not. I promise I'm not just kissing butt because I'm. Uh, talking to y'all but i remember how i came out in uh, 2018 for that football game and someone telling me that that was uh, y'all's worst crowd in like 14 years and i was just like man yeah. that would that would actually be a pretty deep like that that crowd that y'all had for that game that i was out there for would have been better than just about every crowd that houston got this year for football so that's that, that's that that's that strength for y'all that you do have a fan base that will buy in if a program even shows somewhat of a sign that's going in the right direction, like I think Dooley's done so far with uh, Pirate Basketball. Yeah, let's, uh, in fact, that's a nice segue, Sam. Let's let's talk about the league, and I want to get your thoughts because we love having you on and uh, all throughout the different uh, seasons of sports and this particular case with basketball. Um, I've been, uh, Bubba and Kyle, the same way. We've been uh, real impressed with the league. Obviously, I love basketball, no secret there. But I've just been really, it seems like every year that goes by since America came around in the last, what, five or six years, well, it's been longer than that. But it seems like the league itself is getting better in this particular case, basketball. I've been watching, Bubba knows this, I've been watching more and more American games every year with the different platforms on ESPN and et cetera. Yeah, I feel like the floor of the league has gotten, um, has gotten a lot better. I, I really feel. I feel like. I feel like the floor of the league has gotten dramatically better. I, I feel like there are a lot fewer games that you go into and you think, okay, well, I can you know write this off as a win, or I can you know not worry about this road trip or that road trip. I mean, going to that Tulsa game, I think they were outside the top hundred in Ken Palm. I, I was pretty confident we were going to at least leave there with some measure of victory, and they beat us and now look like they could be a serious contender to win the league. That was something I didn't really expect. Um, I think Tulane and ECU are both better than they've been a lot of the past few seasons. I think um, Tulane and ECU, I think, interestingly enough, taking kind of different routes to how they're going to, you know, turn those programs around. Ron Hunter at Tulane has been pretty aggressive about pursuing grad transfers and upperclassmen transfers, which, you know, is kind of a proven way to get your team a lot more competitive in the short term, I do wonder what his plan is in terms of, you know, keeping that team competitive for four or five years and building something more sustainable than just, you know, a team that 
won five or six games when they kind of weren't expected to, and, you know, as compared to what Dooley's done, which, you know, there's some junior college and four-year transfers, you know, in that huge group of guys he brought in, but it's also still fairly underclass and heavy. You have a lot of freshmen, sophomores, including Jaden Gardner, the holdover, making, you know, contribution, and, you know, whether or not, you know, Tulane finishes above ECU by some marginal amount, you know, in the league standings or in the metrics, there's an argument to be made that maybe going a little more underclass and heavy and having a little more of a, you know, class balance from your freshmen, sophomores, and juniors is worth being a little bit worse in the short term versus, you know, next year, Tulane's looking at replacing K.J. Lawson and Christian Thompson and a lot of their key guys from this team and, you know, trying to win consistently in a place where it's been difficult, whereas, you know, ECU's going to be bringing back this entire team next year and, you know, will have hopefully developed and learned something from the ones they've got. And I think I think both the directional Florida's made good hires. I think Cincy nailed their hire when Cronin went to UCLA. I, that's such a luxury to have a mid-major coach as accomplished as John Brandon coaching literally 10 minutes across the river uh, like <laughs> yeah. it was in Cincinnati. They, they nailed that hire. SMU, I'm a little interested to see what happens there. They're, they don't have any seniors in that team. Um, I know y'all beat them in Greenville. I know they just beat Memphis at Memphis. It's been it's been kind of an exciting league, you know, I think for, uh, to, I guess, uh, not the benefit of all of our uh, heartburn, you know, any team can kind of beat any team um, in any given week. I'm, I actually, because I'm more concerned about this ECU trip that I've been in a few years, I went back and looked to see uh, the last time we lost to you guys. I think it was James Dickey's second to last year here, just because this is so much more competitive league that, yeah, I saw you guys beat SMU, and I think U of H is a better team than SMU, but, you know, if ECU is capable of beating a team of SMU's caliber, if things break their way, they're absolutely capable of beating us on Wednesday night. And as good as this Houston, he's been on the balance, uh, consistency hasn't been their forte, so. One good thing to mention about ECU, too, is, Sam, the, the very fact that I think uh, Coach Dewey said the post uh, press, post-game press conference on Saturday night at the win over Tulane, the biggest problem we've had coming into the season was chemistry, no doubt, with 11 new guys coming in, and you had Lede has left the program, unfortunately, being kicked off the team, um, not getting along with Dewey, apparently, and then you only have Gardner left over, so you have that to think about. Then our, both our, uh, both the guys for the backcourt, with Tyree Jackson and Tremont Robinson-White, both have been injured. Going, yep. coming in, and those two, I mean, those are two key pieces. Your backcourt, two of your best players are not even playing. If you could go back, you can't. But if you could go back and play those non-conference games um, now, man, we would be uh, in better shape. But that's the, the nature of the beast. Uh, the worst part of a program is off-the-court stuff, off-the-field stuff, and then all obviously injuries. And I think finally the team, as far as East Carolina is concerned, is finally starting to – I hate to use the term it's overused jail. Yeah, and I, I think just having having his own guys, I, I don't think um you know, and I don't want to say it's a team thing because I think it was just one guy, but like I, I don't think uh I don't think Sean Williams represented the program very well last year when uh when Houston came to town. Just you gotta sometimes have alignment with between the players that you have and your coach and you know, it's it's tough. These are guys 
you know, human beings that are getting year to year scholarships. So, you know, I don't, I don't ever take any joy in guys getting scholarships pulled and that kind of stuff. But I think if any case was crying out for the coach to really make sweeping changes, it was, it was what Dooley did with uh, ECU from last year into this year. And yeah, obviously there's, you know, there's very few guarantees in this life, but yeah, I think it was, I think it was good he didn't go entirely high school because trying to figure out, you know, how to use nine or ten freshmen and get that in, that would be kind of a nightmare. But if you go entirely JUCO, I mean, what happens in two years if those guys don't turn out? You're having to churn nearly your entire roster. So, yeah, I think he did a good job. Balancing between the high school players, I think, isn't uh, one of the two guys you mentioned, isn't Robinson White a sophomore? He is. Uh, He he was actually – it was him and then another uh, junior college player, so they'll have uh, three years remaining. Yeah, anytime you get the, un, you know sport to sport here, but uh, Holgerson and football for us, like we brought in a few transfers that have a few years. Of, anytime you can, you know, minimize the churn of you know transfers only being in your program a year or two, you know that's really helpful. And it, it seems like that's something I think Dooley's done pretty well in assembling this roster. Sam, before we shift gears and talk some football, that's uh, what I, w- I had one other thing for you. Are you guys heartbroken that UConn's off to a one and five start in league play? It breaks my heart, Bubba. It's just it's <laughs> absolutely, uh, it's, it's a real shame. Uh, you hate to see it. But, um, shifting gears to football, uh, so you, you mentioned Dana Holgerson, obviously so much excitement with him coming in, signing that uh, five year, $20 million deal. Um, Cougs unfortunately went, went four and eight last season, yep, and, uh, and yep. uh, uh, a lot of a lot of different things happened. Um, probably the most notable early on um, after that loss to Tulane, I think it was um, yep. at one one and three. The Eric King uh, making use of um, the four game red shirt rule that was in place, so uh, he he set out the remainder of the season, and um, most people understandably thought that he was gone, and he in fact did. End up being gone, and he's he headed to Miami, who's in desperate need of a quarterback. So, what's your take on that whole situation? Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever entirely get the full story because when it came, when the news first came out in September after the Tulane loss, I think it was the Tuesday after it was Derek King is transferring out, and you know, obviously it wasn't the best news, but it was just like, all right, well, it hadn't seemed like it was gelling on the field, you know, King's skill set and what Holgerson staff want to do offensively. And then the news shifted from that to, oh, no, no, he's redshirting and he'll be back in 2020. And I think people rightly kind of looked askance at that, kind of doubtful that he was going to really do that. And, yeah, I don't really hold it against the kid. You only have one college career to play, and he was on his third head coach and his fourth offensive coordinator. And, you know, at a certain point, you know, how – how much does he have to deal with in terms of one school's instability at the coaching position before he decides, like, hey, I'm not going to let this – I'm not going to let this happen at the expense of my, again, very limited window of a college career. So I don't blame him in that sense. Um, I kind of wish he had just made the decision to transfer then in September. I mean, he was graduating in December. His scholarship's good for the whole semester. I think – and Holderson, I think, kind of has hands tied with the whole thing. Like, if you if you really put your foot down and say, no, you're not doing this, you're not shutting my program, 
you know, then you lose the locker room, you lose the guys you inherited. And one of the things we were really, I think, pleasantly surprised about last offseason was there was very little roster turnover going into Holgerson's first season. I think a couple of very peripheral guys, you know, retired or left to go play in FCS, but very few guys for a coaching change decided to go play another school. And that we thought was a good sign that, hey, he has the locker room. He has that. So, you know, I get why if they knew he was going to transfer in September that they didn't make it a big deal. They didn't, you know, didn't try to put that out there. But some part of me thinks that they believe Derek King was going to be back in 2020 because right now, as we, you know, sit here and talk, uh, UH only has two scholarship quarterbacks, Clayton Toon, who played a fair amount last year after King uh, stopped playing, and Sofian Massoud, who is a uh, class of 2020 signee, is going to be a true freshman. Holgerson's son is a little well or more well-rated than your average preferred walk-on. I think he had five or six FBS offers coming out of high school and chose to walk on and play for his dad uh, here in Houston. So, you know, that's still only three guys, two of which, in Holgerson's case and Sofian Massoud's case, you really don't want to be playing American Athletic Conference games right now. This is such a tough league. U of H has a pretty tough non-conference next year, too. And, you know, Clayton Toon takes one shot in the wrong part of his body and you're playing a sophomore preferred walk-on or a true freshman. And, you know, that kind of thing can pretty much torpedo your whole season as much as I think Sofian Basu could eventually be a, a good player. Logan Holerson could eventually develop into Division One starter. I don't think either guy is going to be there in 2020. And, you know, I think if the staff knew that King wasn't coming back in December and chose not to, you know, go after a junior college quarterback or go after a grad transfer that you think could at least compete with Clayton Toon, you know, I think that's probably wasn't the best decision. But I, I think I'm kind of just happy that the drama is over at this point. Obviously, I'd prefer having a quarterback that did as much as the year. I'd prefer to have him here. Just in the small sample size of 2019, uh, Deer ran the ball really well in Holgerson's offense. I think he averaged over 100 yards per game and a pretty good yard per carry clip, but um, his passing was terrible. He, he just, whatever it was, whether it was Holgerson not scheming to his skill set or him not grasping the offense or not fitting his skill set, he just wasn't hitting on any ball past like seven or eight yards downfield. Whereas Clayton Toon, imperfect as he was, he probably threw way more picks and took a few more sacks than he want your quarterback to do, the numbers are dramatically better for Clayton Toon in that one year in Holgerson's offense, which isn't me saying that De'Aaron King is going to do bad at Miami. If anything, I'd be surprised if that's the case. He just, he's good talent. Um, Miami's bringing in SMU's offensive coordinator who I think will understand how to use them. And yeah, I think both parties are probably better with things working out as they are. I think it's better that De'Aaron play at Miami, and I think it's better that Clayton Toon can go into the spring as U of H's um, starting quarterback. As much as selfishly, I would love to have D'Eric still in the program because you want to have as many good players as possible competing in your key spots. Sam, that's an excellent point you make regarding uh, Miami's hire of Rhett Lashley because with him being a Gus Malzahn disciple and uh, the way the way uh, Gus Malzahn has traditionally run his quarterbacks there at Auburn, um, that, that's an excellent point regarding De'Aaron King. Yeah, and um, and he did a really good job this year with Shane Bichelle. Shane Bichelle wasn't bad uh, at the Cal College in Austin when he was kind of backing up and rotating with Sam Ellinger, but he wouldn't have anything really great. I don't think anyone 
really thought Tom Herman was making a bad decision when he picked Sam Ellinger as the starter uh, over him. And, you know, look at him this year. He, you know, had one of the best passing seasons we've seen from a quarterback in this league. So clearly, clearly Lashley is good at figuring out what his quarterback does well and maximizing that. So how, what's the mood of the fan base as far as football is concerned after such a disappointing first year? I think it's, there's some understanding, but there's definitely a shorter leash. I think it was a pretty universally well-received hire. I think everyone was ready to move on from Major Applewhite. Um, I would say not everyone is 100% in, but I would say not everyone is 100% out. I think there's some understanding that the previous staff uh, left the cupboard pretty bare in a lot of key areas. The previous staff did an awful job uh, really setting things up defensively. Um, the senior class was really small, and that wasn't just after – so we ended up having five or six guys who would have been graduating seniors, not even including De'Aaron King, redshirt this year. So a lot of guys are going to be coming back for a fifth year next year. But it was going to be a pretty small senior class regardless, and that speaks to how many guys Tom Herman and Major Applewhite you know, missed on from 2016 and 2017. So there's, there's some understanding there that Holgerson had to deal with a lot of stuff that he didn't necessarily inherit, but – I think a lot of people are kind of concerned that we weren't able to make it work with Jarrett King. And there are a lot of interesting guys coming in. You have a Yabi Anoma, who was Alabama's highest ever uh, rated signing on the defensive side of the ball coming in. He's going to be a uh, rush pass end for uh, U of H next year. A couple other impact defensive transfers. And yeah, I think U of H is like third or fourth in the country in returning production. So there's, there's a lot of guys coming back. There's an argument to be made that this team is going to be much better for the lumps they took in 2019, but I don't blame anyone for being a little more reticent to be all on board with you know, what Holerson's doing after a pretty rough 2019. Yeah, 2019, that, you know, I, I think this team was eventually going to have a year where they reckoned with the previous staff not doing the best job recruiting, not really looking at the big picture, burning – burning guys' freshman seasons and not redshirting them. I think the one that kills me the most is Clayton Toon um, in that awful Armed Forces ball where Army uh, scored 100 or whatever they scored against us. Um, Clayton, Clayton Toon played his fifth game and couldn't redshirt. So they wasted an entire year of Clayton Toon's eligibility uh, just so Army could humiliate us worse than anyone else in the 2018 bowl cycle. It was, it, it was those kinds – that's just one decision, but it was those kinds of decisions that I think this staff paid for in 2019 as they tried to kind of figure out what this roster was. Sam, as we sit here recording this on uh, Monday the 27th of January, we're right here two and a half weeks from opening day for college baseball. It's so hard to believe, um, but yeah. um, time has flown. Uh, Todd Todd Whitting is in his 10th uh, year in guiding his alma mater, and I know last year was a disappointment uh, at 32 and 24, 12 and 12 in the American, and uh, you lose the likes of a uh, Joe Davis, a guy yep. that hit, hit 18 bombs and drove in 57 runs. So what's the outlook for the Cougs this year? The pitching was pretty good last year. Um, the problem was the hitting was just abysmal, especially in the last few weeks of the season. I think it was, I want to say after, I can't remember what series it was, we, we'd won a home series. and At that point, we were pretty good in all the RPI metrics and just couldn't have had a worse, last few weeks of the season. The offense completely disappeared. The pitching was a little more hit and miss than it was 
you know, for the duration of the season. But you know, even with that, you have Lyle Lockhart coming back, who is an all-conference uh, caliber pitcher. You have uh, Clay Aguilar coming back. I don't, I don't think there's a better one-two in terms of you know proven uh, Division One pitching coming back in this league than Lyle Lockhart and Clay Aguilar, and that's really exciting. But I mean, it's kind of hard to sell yourself on the offense getting dramatically better when Joe Davis, who you just mentioned, and um, Jared Triola, who was a top five rounds pick of the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, are both now playing pro ball. And you know, how are you going to get better offensively without two key bats like that? You know, in the lineup, you, it's it's not an addition by subtraction situation. So that's kind of the fifty thousand dollar question right now is how many of these you know, new junior college guys coming in are going to be you know, impact Division One hitters. We had a really good run there, probably middle part of the last decade, where it seemed like every JUCO guy we signed turned into somewhere between a solid role player and all-conference hitter. And, and it seems like the last two or three cycles, there hasn't even been a single junior college guy who's been a net positive. So it's one of the things you hope kind of swings back around and U of H evaluates right and gets lucky and – the lineup's better for some of the new blood coming in, but if I had to guess, it's going to be a pretty good pitching staff and an offense that's going to have to have to, excuse the cat pun, uh, scratch and claw runs for uh, for most of the spring. Sam, before we let you go, obviously one of the biggest stories so far in 2020 for the American, uh, well, maybe for the American, let's put it that way, is the issue with Boise State and Mountain West. It looks like potentially could be going for a divorce uh, there in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, obviously, you're big time in the American. We want to get your thoughts. Yeah, it's, I mean, even though Boise, I mean, I cannot imagine, uh, I mean, doing the football, you know, road trip from Greenville, which I've traveled to, to Boise, Idaho. That just, that, that admittedly, on paper, it seems like a nightmare, but, when you have a program that's as good as this Boise one has been, you know, I wouldn't care if they were in Alaska, honestly, for as good as they've been, you know, the last 20, 30 years. Like, you know, this is already a good football league without Boise. If you, you know, imagine adding a program that's been perennially top 25 or much better, you know, in the last however long it's been, you take that chance. I think I've seen something about Boise reaching out to – um reaching out to some more regionally appropriate leagues for their Olympic sports and kind of doing a football-only thing, kind of like Navy does with the Patriot League and the AAC for football. And, you know, if it's only this one pretty good revenue sport, you know, oh, well, you live with the the Boise to Greenville road trip every four years or whatever ends up working out with divisions. I, I, would, I would be over the moon. I would be – I guess it's not me making that decision for U of H. I'd be willing to take – you know, a, a marginal slice out of our revenue to add a program like Boise. I think that basically puts to bed any argument any other non-Power 5 league has, you know, in terms of supremacy on the gridiron. Just having Boise and also having Memphis and UCF, who have both been pretty good recently, and there's a lot of programs in this league have, you know, had big moments. I think that's what's so cool. It's been a pretty balanced league you know, over the last five years, you know, a lot of different teams have their moment in the sun. And, yeah, adding boys to that, I mean, it makes our schedule a little bit more difficult, but I think it gives the American a level of football legitimacy that I don't think any other league 
Conference USA, Mountain West, or the like, could ever even dream of catching up to if Boise is added. I, I would obviously be over the moon if we added them to this league. I think it would be an incredible addition. I hope right as, now as we speak, Mike Oresco is doing everything possible to make that happen. Hey, and Sam, funny, funny enough, e- even if the Broncos don't end up joining the, in the uh, American Athletic Conference, the Pirates will be making that road trip because they've already signed a home and home with Boise, yep. and they're headed oh, yeah. out there. Yep, we're, we're headed out there in 2026, and uh, then the Broncos come to Dowdy Ficklin in 2028. That's awesome. Good for y'all. That's a, that's a really good home and home to get. Yeah, and also, ironically, we also have a home-and-home home with BYU, another potential. I don't think that's going to happen, but um, the two that I've heard the most, uh, two two teams I've heard the most as far as one's Connecticut. Unfortunately, I guess uh, for them, fortunately for us maybe, uh, anyway, I uh, decided they were going to leave the conference. I heard BYU and, and Boise. Uh, I've heard that um, we're hearing it looks like BYU wants to stay independent in football, um, and then you have the issue of, I guess, there's some – if they were to go all sports, uh, they which I don't think they would, um, they don't play on Sunday, which means that you'd have to play doubleheaded, all kinds of crazy scheduling stuff. I understand yeah. the religious part of thing, but I don't think, well, my understanding, I don't think they're going to, I think they're going to stay independent in football and do more of a national deal. And then we, uh, if we if we get Boise, you get the 12 team. And I've been told the guys, if there's any way you could get 14, knowing that you could be a power league, um, you don't add four. You don't add three teams to add three teams. But if there's any way you could solidify the conference to make it a power league and you know for not a promotional thing like some people portray it as for P6. Yeah, exactly. Like you could, you could legitimately make a case that at any given year you're going to be no worse because on the balance this past year the ACC or the AAC was a better top to bottom league than the ACC. Yeah, you can you could start you know maybe being better than the ACC and Pac-12 a lot of these years. And, again, of course, make your floor being the sixth-rated you know, rated conference in the sport, even when people are having a down year in the league. Yeah, it would, just, it, it would, be, it would be an addition that unqual- it would be unquantifiably positive. I, I couldn't be more in favor of it. No doubt about it. But we could talk about conference realignment for years or hours yep. on the – on a show, we'll have to do that another time. But wanted before we let you go, can you tell folks uh, how they can listen to podcasts and where they can find you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. So we're as uh, as these great hosts have said, we're the Scott and Holman podcast. You can find us pretty much in every uh, app, uh, website, what have you, that has podcasts. At this point, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. Uh, we're there. We're always talking Cougs. We're always talking. AAC, where we put out an episode tonight where we uh, preview the East Carolina game and delve into what we think about the Pirates. And, and we're actually going to go in um, this episode on what we think about what's been a pretty crazy conference season so far. So not just Cougar Talk, a lot of AAC talk generally. Uh, we're also on Twitter at SH Podcast, S-H-P-A-W-D-Cast. We're on Facebook. We have a post there. I think that covers all of it. All right. And by the way, folks, uh, I understand uh, I have a question for you. I understand you moved to Las Vegas. Uh, can we? Can the guys? Can the three of us come out there and do a podcast out there in, in Las Vegas? Do we have like places on the strip or somewhere we could definitely host a party or something? I mean, you, you guys have my number. Uh, def- definitely give me a ring here in the fall <laughs> when I'm uh, when I'm out in Las Vegas. All right, 
Sounds good. Sam Raz, thank you so much, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate the the visit, uh, taking a little more time with us this time. And uh, good luck to you on the move. And uh, don't hurt your back, and we'll look forward to having you back on real soon. Thanks so much for having me, y'all. Thank you very much, Sam. He's uh, well, part, He feels like he's part of the team. I know he's a, a different podcast and certainly podcast, and uh, certainly in a different party. Moving to Las Vegas, oh, my God. Can you imagine – if we go out there, it'll be like The Hangover. I mean, you love comedies. I think that's your favorite genre. Uh, it'll, it'll be more like the, the uh, it'll be me and Bubba sweating it out because Kyle got lost on the strip. And anyway, uh, that's to be determined later on, maybe in the summer or uh, in a future date for sure, to go see Sam and uh, visit him in Las Vegas. That'll be cool. Well, uh, and speaking of cool, this next lady is uh, somebody very special, Bubba. I uh, love her work and love her dedication to writing and journalism and just a class act. She's a, a great person. Yep, and uh, Bethany Bradshaw, she's been a writer and author that I've been aware of for quite some time. Um, Keith LeClaire's book and then so many articles for Bonesville.net, and uh, we had the opportunity to talk to her recently, and let's go to that right now. Thank you very much, Bethany, my friend. Uh, certainly a great writer. And by the way, Bubba, we wanted to mention that book. We were running along with uh, Bethany, and I know she, um, we were keeping her from writing and doing what she does. But can we uh, plug that book? And we'll put it up on social media, as we promised her in the interview, I believe, or before we did, before we did the interview. But can we uh, give that information out? Yeah. No, she's with, she's connected with, um, Greg Steele at Town Bank, who we had on the podcast back when all that was taking place with their with their uh, sponsorship of Town Bank Tower, and so um, she connected with Greg, and Greg had played basketball as well as another Eastern North Carolina resident or two uh, with um, Fork Union Military Academy up in Virginia, and then so um, they wanted to have a book out there about their their legendary coach and uh, it's called body mind spirit in basketball and so it just details how how their uh, coach and uh, and just talked about how coach Fletcher Eric and Fort Union Military Academy helped turn um, hundreds of boys into men and and um, they had something like 200 guys that went on to play division one basketball Definitely legendary coach, and I look forward to – I love reading her work. It's uh, fantastic, so look forward to getting that pretty soon. And I don't have the um, – we're talking about the Super Bowl. We're going to have a Super Bowl show here in a couple of days, folks, but I don't have uh, that book. I've been meaning to get that. I'm going to have to order the Super Bowl book um, here in the next couple of days, and then it'll be after the Super Bowl probably when I get it. But um, I, I think she said the coffee table book, so looks like that'll be a lot of fun to take a look at and reminisce about my Redskins. Maybe one of these days they'll win – <laughs> a Super Bowl, and it won't be history. Uh, three of them was great, but i uh, love to uh, certainly hopefully have something to talk about in the future. Bubba, I wanted to mention, too, that I'm very excited. I appreciate all the support from Pirate Nation and certainly the baseball program and certain uh, uh, maybe the organizations that some of our Pirates are in currently they're playing, like Turner Brown. But thank you so much for the 23 Jungle Tales. Bubba, it's been a huge success, as I knew it would be. Yeah, it really has. Um, we're not quite a third of the way through. I think we put out number seven today. So um, definitely check that out. Those are on SoundCloud exclusively. And we, like Dave said, we've talked to the likes of Turner Brown, Bryant Packard, um, TJ Hose, Trent Whitehead, and some others. 
and we'll get that out and uh, be looking for that over the next couple weeks as we're working really hard on that. And thank you, Bubba, for your hard work as usual, but it's a little extra work, but it's well worth it because these guys are, are tremendous and um, it makes you feel proud of the program. You forget how many, um, you don't forget the players, but you forget how many, if you think about collectively, from Coach Baird and Overton and uh, you go all the way uh, up to current times with Cliff Godwin and just, it's amazing how many great players, how many great talent, and more importantly, how many great men that were boys at 18 years old virtually and these great coaches we've had. Every one of us has been great. That's why the program baseball has been so good. Is a quote-unquote down year for baseball. A lot of the other sports we have and other people, baseball programs around the country would love to have. But a great uh, thing there, and I hope you folks will listen to 23 Jungle Tales as well. Hey, by the way, heard from our travel agent, Dana Shrink today. The uh, cruise is on July the 16th through 20th. Uh, folks, it's going to be tremendous. Don't miss out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Charleston, the Bahamas, July the 16th to the 20th. We'll have one day in Nassau. We're going to record a podcast on Carnival Cruise Line. It said we can, uh, isn't that cool, Bubba? We can record a podcast. So we're going to have a quiet area where we can record the show. You can be a part of the show. And uh, certainly we're going to have a lot of fun with that. July the 16th to the 20th. And I don't know, we'll swim. You can, uh, Maybe one of your excursions be swim with Kyle. I don't know, swim with the pigs, swim with the dolphins. Take your pick, but it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, no doubt. Again, July the 16th or 20th, just call Dana at 919-830-4161. 919-830-4161. Ask her about the Sports Objective Pirate Cruise. And uh, we've got we got rooms that are right now that are blocked off just for us. And you'll get a special rate by telling her about that, the Sports Objective Pirate Cruise. So check it out. Bubba, do you have anything before we go? No, just get out to Minji's on Wednesday night if you can, and should be a heck of an atmosphere with Kelvin Sampson and the 21st-ranked Cougars in town. And who knows, maybe the Pirates uh, will have another hot night shooting the basketball and pull off the upset and be on Sports Center and uh, and all those sorts of things. Uh, anything's possible this year, this league with uh, this year a lot of parity and I just so my first stuff with American officials, no technicals tomorrow night. If you know what I'm talking about, uh, almost a year ago in February, uh, Coach Joe Dooley got thrown out. It was a whole bunch of technicals. Uh, things got really out of hand, especially early in the second half. And I just hope that um, the officials won't let things get out of hand or they won't get too whistle happy. So we'll keep that an eye on that tomorrow night. Good luck to the Pirates. Uh, it's definitely going to be a tough assignment with the Cougs, but we'll see how that plays out. All right, uh, for Cliff Godwin, we also had in there a great one from Sam Raz from Scott Holman podcast, podcast, Stephanie Bradshaw from Bowlingsville.net, a great author and writer, and of course, Bubba Rosenbaum and Kyle from LaGrange Barber. I am Dave Richmond for the Sports Objective Podcast. You've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective, and the objective is sports.